You're listening to Something Else, an original podcast story created by me, Cooley. Audio Adventures in Indigenous Futurism. <laughs> this is episode two, titled Indigenous Philopath. The silence of a humming city. Sounds crashing into concrete and onto one another. The backwash sound buzz filling the air like a busy beehive. In constant motion, they compete with the bright lights, the hologram ads, the lasers and scanners that penetrate every nook. Perched above a convenience store house in an old laundry services building is the hole in the wall she crawled into years ago. Through a window crack, the smells of tide, cigarettes, and broken dreams drift up to the quaint little rail cars her landlords call home. The glow of the city grows as night is settling in. The familiar drawl of sirens awaken her. Groggy, she rolls over and rubs her eyes. Fumbling around, she finds it. She takes a big, long drag. She lights her smoke in bed. Go away. I'm not interested. She isn't here. Naked, she plops out of bed, wraps herself in a satin robe. I'm coming. She grabs her grandfather's old abalone pistol and goes to the door. Who are you? Nervously, as her canoe begins to speak. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm looking for Cooley Ross. Cooley C. Ross. Uh, I've been searching for you for the past two years. May I come in? No. Cooley, please. I've been searching tirelessly for you. We all have. Can you please just hear me out? All right. But if you want my time, it's going to cost you a pack of Mother Earth and a bottle of fire water. You can grab them downstairs. Azur hurries downstairs to make his purchases and is back at Cooley's door in minutes. Come in. You can have 15 minutes of my time. The apartment walls are barren. All that furnishes this place is a cluttered desk, a mattress, a small nightstand, and piles and piles of paper fill every corner. She sits down on the only chair gesturing for Azur to sit on the floor. What do you want? Uh, hi. Uh, I'm a writer. Just just like you. I can't believe I'm meeting you. I have to say, I'm a huge fan. I'm probably your biggest fan. I mean, you changed my life. Your work with your podcast series, NDAs, and the change you brought about. It really inspired me. I'm just so honored to meet you. You tracked me down just to say that? Well, you wasted your time. 
Nothing to see here. Look around. I used to be a writer. No one to look up to now. Used to be? Your podcast won awards. It was the match that lit the flame that brought about great change for our people. The race riots? I mean, they were really important. They brought around the end to pretendians and some big changes for the Indian community. Do you know a lot of people really look up to you? <laughs> you know the power that they had then. They had lawyers, politicians, professors, and they made sure I was discredited as a writer. My own people accused me of lateral violence. I became a national joke. It's been a struggle just to scrape by. Others walking around in the place, he notices a trash can in the middle of the room. Inside, he picks up a trophy from 2024. What is this doing in here? It's exactly where it needs to be, to remind me that that part of my life is trash. You've got five more minutes. Miss Ross, I'm here to offer you some work. We really need you. We have a team of writers and researchers to back you. There's a huge problem facing Indian community again. And we need you, your voice, your fire, your mind. They're at it again. They found a way to impersonate being Indigenous again. <laughs> well, that's impossible. We have the NDNA scan. People can't just say they're Indigenous anymore. They require proof. And that scan, it can't be faked. That's the thing, Cooley. They're not Indigenous, and they are passing the scan. Hmm, well maybe y'all need to just do better research and figure that out. Like I said, can't beat that technology. After public pressure increased, the Fed stepped in and mandated the NDNA scans. That's a closed chapter in Indian history now. No more pretendians. Okay, your time's up. Listen, I don't get involved in this stuff anymore. Oh, please. We really need you. He writes down his number and exits the apartment. Cooley spends some time writing in the darkness. Sirens constantly whizzing around her apartment building. She stands in the cold night air, letting it bite her skin. Her smoke drifts up to her landlord's tiny homes on the roof. They're always complaining about it. She lights another before she ventures back inside. Today's meetings, you could say, has her a bit agitated. Even the drink doesn't seem to dull the pain of those old wounds. She thinks about her time creating the series, receiving national acclaim, and then all the backlash. Her tummy growls. Smoke in mouth, she heads downstairs and grabs her typical supper. A microwave bowl of instant noodle soup. She sits outside on the bench and golfs it down, 
chasing it, of course, with a couple cigarettes. She's just about to go back upstairs when she notices the hologram talking about some supernatural event they're calling the Great Unfolding. Not really her area of expertise, supernatural or biological occurrences, but enough to spark her curiosity. She's walking away when a familiar voice fills the projection. It's the voice of somebody she's very familiar with. The voice of Miss Daphne Williams. Daphne was the first person that Cooley exposed for fraud in her podcast. Daphne was a lawyer at the time. She kicked up a real dust storm for Cooley, suing her with slander. So what was this old foe doing? Cooley steps closer to the 3D billboard to listen. Tom say, it is such an honor to stand before all of you today as I humbly announce my candidacy for this year's presidential election. As all of you know, after I was rigorously vetted by the Reparations Department and the NDNA scan, I have worked tirelessly to uplift my Indigenous community since becoming an elected official last year. And now, before the Creator tonight, I am thrilled to take a step towards becoming our country's first Indigenous president. Cooley feels heat rise from behind her shoulders, up the back of her neck. Her face is flushing as she turns into a hornet. Cooley knows better than anyone else that Daphne Williams is definitely not an Indigenous person and is an imposter. But how on earth has she managed to pass the scan? The NDNA scan is flawless. It uses neutrogenic deoxyribonucleic acid, which uses light technology to solve the country's rampant indigenous identity fraud issue. So how has she done it? Cooley goes up to her apartment and begins to work tirelessly throughout the night and into the next day. By sunset, Azur is back in the apartment. She reveals what she's found out. She was able to find Daphne's scan and verify its authenticity. Cooley has old connections that work at the reparation center that have verified without a doubt that Daphne's DNA is indigenous. She also pulled up all her old research into Daphne's heritage and picked it over with a fine-tooth comb to 100% verify that Daphne is in fact not indigenous. Then she shares with Azur that when she checked with an old source, she came across an alarming report that a new technology had been invented which allows people to change their genetic information. The rumor is that since national reparations came about in 2030, which ensures Indigenous communities were at last getting compensation long owed to them, the Whites have been searching for a loophole to exploit the benefits for themselves.
In the next few weeks, the team worked furiously to investigate. Was this the end of Indigenous sovereignty? Could whites literally turn themselves Indigenous? All of their research led them to this old lab in some bad part of town. Cooley decided to go there on a brief recon herself. She was a veteran at this after all. She noticed people coming in and out of the facilities, but she already had a workaround to this. And before you knew it, she caused the distraction she needed to get herself inside. It smelled like a hospital and the hair on the back of Cooley's neck stood at edge. She could make out some lab technicians in the distance as she marveled at all sorts of tech and equipment she'd never seen before. Quickly, without being seen, she made her way to the research facility and started to transfer the files to Azur and the team. She smiled as this would expose everything that they were doing. She could hear the lab techs in the other room. The file had sent. Today had been a victory. As she began to make her way out of the building, feeling the success, she was stopped in her tracks by a device. It was locked in a case and appeared to be some sort of handheld equipment. The case was labeled Gene Splicing Gun. This was it, the proverbial smoking gun. She reached her hand on the glass as she pondered the future of all Indigenous nations. Who was behind creating something like this? It was monstrous. She had to leave now. She had to tell the team. She started to go until she heard a familiar voice call her name. Original Universe Creation, Composition and Production by Cooley Ross. Original theme and score by Real 8. These podcasts in the Something Else universe were brought to you by CFUV. Support Indigenous Arts. I can be contacted via Instagram at the underscore r dot a dot p underscore. Director's notes come next. Thank you for listening. Let's take a big breath. That was uh, heavy content. So Indigenous identity fraud is such a big issue in Indigenous communities, and it's very complicated. I definitely had several versions of this episode written um, and decided to start with this one to begin to address some of the concerns out of a myriad of concerns um, and complications that something like this brings. Definitely uh, intentionally chose the title name as uh, we often call it 
um, cultural appropriation, a better name being cultural identity fraud, but definitely pathologizing it. Um, it's, you know, and then the idea that if this is a pathology in our colonial society and it's left unchecked, what kind of havoc does it wreak? So that is um, the energy kind of behind some of the ideas here in this podcast. A quick disclaimer, any similarities in the story you just heard are purely coincidental. Uh, I have to say that for sure, because I don't want to be sued. That would be a real concern. And that segues me pretty nicely into this, the series that I talk about, The Endy Ain'ts, um, as a podcast series that wins national acclaim in this world, um, which exposes numerous um, high-profile cases of a cultural identity fraud in, in, in Indigenous communities, um, and how the reality of that is that if you did make a podcast like that, um, you would be potentially um, facing getting sued um, or libel and slander. So yeah, definitely I uh, want to say that. And also, if anyone at uh, Canada Land or Indian and Cowboy is listening and they want to pick that up, I have it already written. <laughs> I've been working on it for years, a full series. Um, so yeah, definitely that would be uh, controversial, but uh, amazing as well. And so this is me precariously um, living in that way. So yeah, definitely uh, for all the listeners, um, there's a lot of issues that come up when we talk about this kind of cultural identity fraud or pretendians or fake teas. Indians uh, was the, the name I coined it. And it's, it's not unique to the Indigenous community, for sure. It's, uh, we see it actually at huge proportions these days now. Uh, you know, at long last, it's finally a little bit uncool to be white. And so we do see a lot of folks that uh, no longer want to be white. They want to put something else on and... Uh, try that on for a while so but with uh, in indigenous communities there are a few uh, issues and concerns and arguments that I have heard over the years and I did want to take some time to kind of address some of them um, yay fun so I have heard the argument consistently uh, around um, if you're an indigenous person and you care like like I do for example and get yourself all caught up in caring about who is indigenous according to colonial constructs so within um, North America the colonial governments decide um, indigeneity which is like a whole other issue and not so much what we covered here in the podcast um, so I won't really get into it um, but if I ascribe to caring about that, that I myself am, up, am upholding and enforcing these colonial 
constructs. And so, uh, yeah, that, that argument is very um, concerning to me because we don't live in 1491 anymore. We live in a colonized society. And so my options are to pretend like it's 1491, according to this argument, and uh, colonial systems don't phase me or affect me by sheer willpower or uh, put my head in the sand and do nothing while gross atrocities continue to be executed. <laughs> and so I just think that that argument just doesn't have any really any legs to stand on. Uh, obviously, I am not a fan of many colonial systems, but my failure to recognize them or to work towards changing them doesn't mean that they don't exist. And so it is an unfortunate reality that we live in and we have to start thinking of what moving forward looks like. And it doesn't look like um, in violence, it doesn't look like putting our head in the sands. It looks like today as Indigenous nations pushing for sovereignty and being able to, um, you know, decide within our own communities, the belonging, because not having that sovereignty for ourselves, um, is, is playing out very violently, you know, and as it would, because the system of colonization is going to continue to self-replicate the violence that it's meant to replicate. And so, um, that's just, a. A little, a little blip there. And the other um, argument that I hear all the time too, and I did briefly mention it in the podcast, is um, the one about lateral violence. And so the thing about that is, um, it's it's not lateral. That's the whole the whole point. The whole point of this argument and why it's so upsetting to so many individuals is we're not talking about the people who are removed from their communities. You know, we're not talking about the people whose grandparents went to residential schools and no records were kept and, you know, and their families were ashamed to be Indigenous and maybe they have like a, a white parent. We're not talking about those individuals who are trying to reclaim their ind in, their Indigenous identity and get back to that. Like, those, that's not what the concern is. We understand how that is another mechanism of colonial violence in like assimilating and um, exterminating indigenous identity. We're talking about how this in itself is a mechanism of exterminating indigenous identity by allowing white people to adopt and appropriate the identity and steal it for themselves. And so that that's what the issue is it's not about um kin that are lateral to us and so it's it's not a lateral violence thing it's about white people who are not lateral to us and about their ongoing violence towards us and in my opinion this is one of the grossest examples of violence like if 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 we had any other examples, you know, and I won't even make it because it's so, um, it's so tacky to draw the other very obvious comparison, but indigenous 
people are living through an active ongoing genocide, the great dying, actually, the biggest loss of human life on the planet. And we're still living through it here in North America and across the world. But we're still living through it here. And then we have where the people who continue to uphold the system and keep it in power and continue to, you know, take our land away and disenfranchise us and incarcerate us and continue to perpetuate these systems. We have these people who now can, for themselves, take our identity, take, all, take our culture, take our teachings. And uh, that's a whole really sick level of violence, which is, you know, why I wanted the episode titled um, and called out as a pathology. Um, I think it definitely demonstrates a pathology within our society, um, that this is the reality that we live in. And it's a very dangerous one. And so I do think that it's every person's um, work and concern to undo and unravel this um yeah so yeah not lateral that's we're not talking about um our kin that are trying to make it back into our communities we're definitely talking about white people and stealing our identities for their own ongoing benefit in a system that already has privileged and benefited them so greatly and uh, yeah, so just to make that very clear distinction. And then, um, you know, also on a, on a quick note, cultural identity fraud, um, it, it, it is different, entirely different than uh, someone's own journey of reconnecting towards their ancestors. So, um, you know, and we do live in a world where we have been colonized. And so there are a lot of individuals who have mixed ancestry. They have indigenous ancestry. They have mixed settler ancestry, maybe even mixed indigenous ancestry. And that's just the reality. And so a couple of things I want to address is um, there's a lot of misunderstandings within the, within Canada for sure about the Métis identity. And so I'm just going to clear that up really quickly here. Um, the, the Métis are a unique um, identity within Canada, uh, all, all on their own. Um, and so they have a place, uh, a land place that they recognize as their homelands. They have their own languages, their own dances, their own culture. They're a distinct cultural identity. Um, that actually predates Canada being formed as a nation. Um, and so, but if you go on to Google or open up any kind of Webster's Dictionary, you will get a definition that I think continues to perpetuate the harm and the misrepresentation and the misunderstandings within Canada towards the Métis community. It will say something like, Vaguely settler, vaguely indigenous equals Métis. And that's not the truth. That's not the reality. There are, we're distinct peoples. And so if you are a Métis from the Red River Settlement area and your families are from that place and time before you were 
disenfranchised and dispossessed of your land by the Canadian government, if you're from that place, you are Métis. You belong to the Métis, who had to fight themselves, the old wolves in the 1900s, to have recognition, right? But the government of Canada delivered and continues to deliver that last blow where now they get to issue out Métis status and they get to decide. And of course, it's a system of colonization, so it's always going to replicate the violence it's meant to uphold. And so we have all kinds of peoples who are in fact not Métis, who have Métis status, and that is very deeply problematic. It, it is deeply upsetting. It's the biggest threat to our culture that exists today. And again, it's a culture that um, our ancestors had to fight tooth and nail for every little bit of recognition and uh, for what they got. So it is shameful that that's where it stands, but um, very understandable for the majority of Canadians to be very confused about that, misrep that misrepresentation because it's definitely intentional. So yeah, again, if you are from the Red River area and you're, your family's from there and you're Mate you are Métis, you have Métis ancestry, that doesn't mean that you don't have other ancestry it doesn't. You could have other indigenous ancestry like myself. You could have other settler ancestry like myself. And so um, that brings me into the next portion of, of the question, which, which brings up identity. And so I just talked about it, but about how for the first time ever being white is um, uncool. And so... I hear more than ever, I hear um, people introducing themselves as anything but white. And uh, I understand totally the, the need, the desire to do that. And also like, you know, what is your identity here as a, we use the word settler, you know, I also like the word violent occupier. Um, to each their own, you know, words are very powerful. They hold a lot of meaning. And I do think that the tale, the myth of Canada and America is pretty sugar-coated. And it does um, cause more harm. It continues to cause harm, all that sugar-coating. I think, you know, the truth in my experience is always, it's always the way. And so I am excited for a time when the truth can, you know, comes out and is allowed to, to breathe so that scab can start to heal over. Um, but yeah, so back to your identity. And so as an individual, I believe that you carry your ancestors with you. And so it's really vital if you do have some indigeneity in your family tree that you do reconnect to that part of yourself and carry that ancestor's medicine forward. But it's even more vital that you recognize all of your other ancestors and the legacy that, they're, that you're carrying forward through them. And you, it's, it's your 
you're in the position to start to move forward in a healing way, in a truthful way. And so I know it can be easy for us to want to just cherry pick all the good stuff out (laughs) or the stuff that's seemingly convenient um, and avoid the shadow stuff and in our ancestry and in our culture as well. But that's not going to heal anything for us as a collective nation. And so definitely for individuals who are listening to this, um, I really want you to consider that. And, and for example, too, in, in real life, how that plays out, like you find out that maybe you do have some Red River Métis ancestry, um, a couple hundred years ago, which is, you know, um, for for, you know, your whole life and your parents' whole life and your grandparents' whole life, they were not in any indigenous communities or raised in any kind of indigenous ways. And um, so I, I want you to take, really, really, really take some stock in that. In uh, if, if you're considering this reconnection journey as a uh, you know, if you're considering taking up space within indigenous spaces. So like ask yourself the questions, who is this space for? Uh, Does my presence in this space make this space feel unwelcoming for others? You know, these are really important questions. And so, um, and that's, they're really unique. You know, I'm not saying that I uh, have the answers for those individuals within their own lives. Um, But it's definitely worth a lot of serious reflection, you know, definitely reflecting upon as a individual with primarily settler or violent occupier ancestry, what are the teachings and practices and the internalized racism and pathologies that you're carrying with you that you might perhaps continue to perpetuate within indigenous spaces um you know and and be very honest with yourself about these realities um before you apply for the job that has uh an exception for people with indigenous ancestry. Really ask yourself those questions um, and be very honest because um, if you're reconnecting to your ancestors, I am proud of you. I am celebrating that for you. But I mean, I am also insisting that you reconnect with all of your ancestors. You know, you're, you're not just indigenous and it is important that you are but it's important that you consider the context of the whole picture within Canada and and make your make your peace with that you know and then you can if if it's a good choice for you move into these spaces in a good way you know so that's something we should all be reflecting upon but that's not what these podcasts are about I just wanted to touch on some of the issues this podcast is about um, the uh, the more obvious, the the bigger examples, not just an individual's reclamation journey. They're about the 
white people who knowingly commit indigenous identity fraud or cultural identity fraud, and they take up these powerful positions as professors in universities, as lawyers, as uh, individuals and institutions, as singers making Spotify playlists representing indigenous artists, you know? So those are the individuals that um, would be under the chopping block in the NDA's episode. Those are the bigger issues um, because they not only affect like public opinion, but they're actively affecting policy, policy that affects indigenous communities. Um, they're writing books and speaking about our culture and they're changing the future of our culture. It's a, a horribly violent um, situation and uh, it has to come to an end. There has to be something done about it. And uh, it's very unfortunate as well because uh, speaking within Canada, I imagine America and Central America are very similar. But uh, the majority of Canadians are very insulated um, in their communities, the small towns they grew up in or the cities they live in. Not as much in the larger cities, but they're still very insulated from indigenous communities and indigenous realities and truths. And really largely the only exposure they get is propaganda through, you know, education and the media. And, um, and then these often this misrepresentation through pretendians or fake tees, which is like people who look like them and talk like them and present like them and give them this made up fairy tale sugar coated version of indigeneity. And uh, that's very dangerous if we're talking about what a sovereign indigenous future looks like and what true healing looks like and what truth looks like. And so this is a really big problem for all of Canada. And uh, yeah, so. Hopefully that's got everyone thinking and uh, having the discussion and the dialogues within their own communities. And again, like this is uh, just a story and uh, just my opinions meant to address some of these issues. And again, they're very complicated. I do not speak for other Indigenous individuals or for any Indigenous nations as a whole. I can only speak to my own truth and experience. And so that's what you just listened to in this story and in my director's notes, which was really just me rambling. Um, but again, if anyone wants to hear me rambling more in this direction, because I am always happy to ramble about cultural identity fraud, Again, because I believe it's the biggest threat to our nation today. Um, yeah, I, that whole podcast, it could exist. NDAs or whatever we decided to call it if someone wanted to pick me up and do that. Again, it's almost written. So I'll just plug that. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys share this, pass this around and that you enjoy it. It's been a pleasure to make. And uh, yeah. See you next time.
Bye.